0: N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash W-T-F <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuckadelics? What's happening? I'm Mark Maron. This is my podcast. WTF. Welcome to it. If you're new here, welcome. If, uh, if you're regulars, nice to see you. Thank you thank you no 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 thanks nice to see you uh if you're new just hang out uh you'll you'll get the hang of it just sit and listen that's all sit and listen or or listen wherever you're gonna listen drive and listen run and listen walk and listen cook and listen i don't whatever you got to do whatever you got to do if you're in the hospital hope you're feeling all right if you're using me to get to sleep which i find many people do uh good night sleep well all right, I am I'm, i don't want to be too heavy if you're just uh, trying to doze off a little bit. If you're uh, sweating while you're listening to me, it's fine. Hey, look, Wherever you got to take me. If you're on a plane, whatever you got to do. Today I talked to uh, Michael Mann. Michael Mann is one of the great directors. And I, I don't know everything about him. I did go and watch a lot of films I had seen of his like Thief and Manhunter. And I rewatched Heat right before I talked to the guy. He's also the director and writer of movies like The uh, Last of the Mohicans, The Insider, Ali, Miami Vice. And he's here because he's now a novelist. He just wrote Heat 2, which he plans to make into a movie. But right now it's a book and it comes out in a couple of weeks. But I've been very taken with uh the work of Michael Mann lately. I I this I watched Thief like three or four times. I watched it when it came out, I watched it again in between when it came out and when I talked to uh, James Kahn. I I watched it just before I talked to James Kahn. It was James Kahn's favorite work that he did, R.I.P. Uh, we lost James Kahn. And I just I do need to tell you that. I recorded this interview with Michael Mann before James Caan died. But, uh, but James Khan loved Thief. But it was exciting to talk to the guy. Enjoyed it. Hands on. All the interviews are hands on. I can never sweep through an interview. I can't autopilot an interview. Everything's all in. So Vegas, the shows were great. And the area was great, and I relaxed. I didn't go to a, I didn't go to a casino at all. I ran into a, well, I knew he was out there. He hit me to being out there. John uh, John Swab, the director, I talked to about um, body brokers. He was out there just burning off some. Uh, he's like uh, he just he he had a deal on a room, and he just finished shooting a movie, so he's taking a break. And we hung out. We did we did a little secret society situation and then we had some breakfast he gave me this amazing book he gave me a copy of uh, Larry Clark's Tulsa it, just, it it almost made me cry just he he's friends with i think Larry Clark's guy the archivist the estate manager whatever but it was it was it's one of the great books of photography one of the great phonojournalistic, a pioneer of the raw shit but it's like a first edition signed to come with a print came with a print Larry Clark's Tulsa, what a great... Those two books that Larry Clark did, Teenage Lust and Tulsa, man, just game-changing photographs. And I was so fucking thrilled. Couldn't believe it. It came out of nowhere. What a guy. He came to both shows, talked movies and talked uh, sobriety and talked life and had a nice time for a few hours. I went to the club, uh, the Wise Guys Club. Keith opened up a club. He's got the club in Salt Lake City. He's got another one. A couple in Utah, but he opened up this Vegas joint but the shows were just the club is great. I, I don't it's that arts district is it's great. You don't even feel the fucking weight or the pull of the uh, strip and four shows. And they were I mean, those club shows, man, when there's no distance between me and an audience, 150 people, I'm going to put it out there. And those second shows get loopy and weird and riffy. That second show Saturday night was dirty and good. I've been doing this a long time, and i got to be honest with you. I'm fucking good at it. And little Esther, Esther Pavitsky was great. Great opener for me. And I'm just trying, I'm using openers a little more now so I can get this, uh, so I can get the time to where it needs to be, like 73, 75 minutes, tight. Figure out what needs to go, what doesn't need to go, my... Father uh, was there Friday night first show. His wife drove him out. She's got family nearby, so they came. And he saw the shit. He saw the shit. He saw the new stuff I'm doing about him. It, you know, I, I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it, but I did it. And uh, he took it like he usually does and laughed. And it's only now I think that, you know, he probably forgot by now. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was good to see him. This stuff is really tightening up and coming along. There's like four massive bits in there. I'm excited to do the hour months from now for HBO. But I'm working on it and always new stuff. Did some... uh, I like when I do those riff shows, like second show Saturday night, where I just, I surprise myself. And I'm like, where did that come? It's a gift, man. It comes from where it comes from. That weird mingling of the ether and whatever's in your brain. Those moments where something is just revealed to me at the same time it's revealed to the audience and I'm like, I never thought about that. Where did that come from? Great audiences. I, I should mention that uh, young comic Jack Knight, who I didn't know that well, but I used to see a lot at the comedy store. Um, he's a peer in the sense that we work together. He's, he's passed. He's He's dead at 28, and it's fucking horrendous. It's just horrendous. The The void it leaves in the community when somebody tragically dies one way or the other. He was a funny guy, and, uh, and I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. It's a tragic, tragic loss. So look, Michael Mann is... Uh, one of the great directors. No one, he, you know, he's got his own style. He's an auteur. And uh, he's, he's old school in the way of being a guy that's in charge of his shit. Like, I've talked to a lot of these guys. You know, Ridley Scott, William Friedkin. These, um, you know, big personality. That, uh, you know, a tone that they create that is uniquely there. Certainly Michael Mann. Definitely Friedkin too, but uh, he's here to talk about not only his life and his movies, but this new novel Heat too. A novel comes out on August 9th, uh, but you can pre-order it right now. And uh, this is me talking to Michael Mann about a lot of stuff. And again, this was uh, recorded before the passing of James Kahn. I'll tell you what I did today. Yeah. I watched Heat.
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) I watched I and to be honest with you, I don't think I've seen it since it came out. I mean what what year did it come out? Ninety five. I I, watch, I remember that those of us who were into films were so excited that De Niro and Pacino were going to yeah. be together. Let me ask you just out of the gate, because I'm curious after watching it. Were they in the in, together? Of course. Okay. Because yeah. I remember there was a rumor around that they were. No,
1: weren't. it's nonsense. It's nonsense, right? Because, yeah, I had a third camera. They were shooting a two-shot. But There's every no time, yeah. Every time we went to it... You know the, the you you know the, the air lit out of the balloon. You lost the intimacy. Sure. So, so therefore, it was just you always, just kept going like that. Kept going like that, and not only that, but I had I shot with three cameras simultaneously. Yeah. So if the one camera shooting Al moved this much, you'd see the other camera. Oh, okay. And the reason for that was because I knew these guys were so. Um, you know uh, that that, that scene the nexus of everything, yeah. and, and we really protected it to yeah. make sure it was going to be shot at exactly the right time and how we prepped it, and it was so attuned to it, yeah. that I knew that there was this, there'd be all kinds at every, every level, there'd be this organic performance. Yeah. so that take eight would be different than Take Nine for both guys. Okay. Because if, if Al did the slightest shift of his body a yeah. little bit and his right hand moved down his thigh yeah. a little bit where his gum might be holstered, you can see De Niro spot that. And so every tiny little thing, and as brilliant animals, which we are, we yeah. perceive more than we know we perceive. Right. And there's an organic unity. So almost the whole scene is all Take Eleven. No so kidding. One take, you know, and you, and you and
0: and De Niro did notice when he moved his hand, like he, in his character, he noticed that
1: like- totally. They're so totally in character and so of that moment, and um, because it's if you if you imagine how distant they are from each other, yeah, as, as opposites, and um, and uh, Pacino knows that uh, there's no point in maintaining his blown surveillance. I've sure. got nothing to no, lose. No right. Right. while more about him so he does the outrageous thing and wants to meet him De Niro has the same motive why does he go to have coffee with him because, because he's got I'm nothing. going to get something.
0: Right. And also, he knows that Petino's not going to move on him unless he gets him big.
1: Not going to move on unless he gets him big, and I'm going to know something, yeah. and I may... He's thinking to himself, I may find myself in a jam, and I'm jackpotted, and I will have a split second to intuitively decide whether it's zig or zag, yeah. and I will get something from this meeting this guy who's after me. So, both are thinking the same thing. So, they go. Now, they start with... The dialogue about, uh, you know, where were you in prison and all those other stuff. By okay. the end of it, they're sharing their dreams in their most right. intimate moments. Yeah. The way they see the world okay. is the same. Yeah. Right. Both know time is short. Both know, like, good existentialists in a funny way with a very low sure. E that use what you build into it that's what that's what is that's what reality is so they're the only two people in the universe of the film who have the same perspective on life yeah uh obviously obviously the pacino character hannah has got a compass of sorts there's objective reality sociopath and uh, macaulay except for this small group does not um if you get if you get in his way, uh, you know if it rains, you get wet. That's his attitude about about all life. I'm talking about McCall. Yeah.
0: Sure, sure. But I mean, what's interesting though in, in that, it, yeah, he's got a moral compass. Pacino does, but it seems like even like going back to Thief, that the this sort of bond and the loyalty, in the sense of. Uh, of I don't know if it's friendship
1: uh, that thieves have is is somewhat of a compass. Oh, no, that that's true. No, within that nuclear family yeah. he's bonded to his crime partners. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and he that's why he rescues Charlott the Velcomer the Velcomer character, but both of them see life as transient and and momentary and you know, and, and they're, they're, sh- they're they're solitary. they're, they're, they're solitary, right? But, but they're the only characters like that in the film.
0: That's right. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. because uh, uh, Sizemore's character is like dug in. He saved his money. He's got a, you know. He could have a life.
1: Sizemore's fam- Mr.
0: Family Bear. right? Is, right. Because... And that cut that you made, you know, to the cops at the same base, almost the same party, right? Right? Yeah. To show that, and then, uh, it, but I, I, what I didn't remember, which was most of the movie, and because it's right in my head today. I, I, and it's rare that I think this and it, obviously he wrote a, an entire book to sort of do the before and after of, of that film uh, uh, was that when he goes back because of that you know that fl- that flaw of pride to go kill Wango or what, what his name right, what, Wango. Wango it was satisfying. like it, like it, there's the anti-hero, like you're rooting for the, the, the bad guy a lot of times. I wouldn't have minded. If, if De Niro lived and got away. I kind of wanted it. Right. But his decision to go shoot that guy like he shot him, in, in the very specific way that he shot him, you know, look at me, look at right. me. And he walked. I felt like that character had done everything he needed to do in his life.
1: 20 minutes earlier in the film, <laughs> the guy at the beginning of the movie never, ever would have gone to Wengro. Yeah. And the reason he went for Wengro is because he's lost his navigational instrument altogether. But it's ego, right? It's not ego. No, it's, no. It's that he's is that he has. Uh, he lives by a rigid code of have nothing in your life. You can't walk out in twenty right. seconds flat. No right. attachments, because and right. it, it's a risk versus reward equation. And so he lives in a universe in which there's total causality, and it's totally rigid. And and the conceit of the film is that the way you think of the world is the way your fate's going to mm-hmm. turn out. Okay. as opposed to like Scheherler is postmodernist and he does all kinds of mistakes and he still Val slides Kilmer. Val Kilmer right Val yeah. Kilmer not De Niro De Niro's character if he deviates from this rigid almost catechism of how to be everything there has to be repercussions right. everything's and, chaos and he never would have when they when he and Edie drive through the, the tunnel where the mm-hmm. light changes yeah you know he never would have been swayed but you know, it's almost like it's almost like I I bared my chest to her. I I, I I ripped my heart out of my chest and just said, you know, everything I wanted to do and everything I've been doing this for doesn't mean anything if you're not with me. Yeah. And and spontaneous, and he wins, and she's going to go with him. Yeah. And so then it's almost like I guess I can be spontaneous. Right. You know. And so that then opens him up. He becomes vulnerable to being turned by. By, by emotions and f- and feelings that yeah. it wouldn't have been before. So Nate says to him I know you're not going to, I need to tell you because I'm right. obligated right. to, I know you're not going to go for it but here's where Wangro is. He goes to that tunnel of light and something comes over him and he turns off the freeway. Now, we shot that scene, the tunnel light, like three times. Uh-huh. We completed the night shooting and I looked at Bob and he looked at me and I said, we don't have it. He said, yeah I know. Went back and did it a second time. And it's, it is it is only the what's what was in Bob's head played on his face that we knew we didn't get it the first and second time. We did it a third time and we knew we had it. And were you telling him that? Oh, we're both talking about you it and Bob. There. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, that, like, yeah, absolutely. I need to, yeah, I need to I, see it. I, we didn't. I said it's not. It's it's okay, but it's not really there. He says, "Yeah, I know." Um, oh, I, yeah. I said, oh yeah. totally. Then we're going to do it again. I mean, he is spectacular actor to you know to work with, obviously. Right. And um, but you're saying the reason the character did that was because he had to do it. He didn't. He, he had to do it because he lost his navig. He's. It's like a boat without a rudder. He lost his navigation by being vulnerable by 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 letting her in. But... And he should let her. Should have let her in. I get it. Yeah. It, he, what he's saying is the truth. I mean, yeah. that, those these are the contradictions. They're so rich to me, and why I think this is kind of a universe because yeah. this is this are contradictions that are in our life. They're both true. Right. It's not contradictory. You know. I mean, it really is that nothing he's after means anything if she's not with him. He said, "My life's you know I'm I'm, I'm, a, I'm a needle starting at zero and going the other way." And, and that's what blank. he
0: decided midway through the movie. I mean, like you, you know, like he was the guy that said you can't don't stick with anything. You can't leave. Even right. 30 seconds.
1: Exactly. And he never would have, he never, he would, after he meets her accidentally in, yeah. the, Bell, in the Broadway deli Sure, and then uh, he goes home, they, they have sex, they make love, he leaves a glass of water, right. he folds a napkin around it yeah. the, the way you do in prison where everything is kind of this Bonnaroo, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. And, and he's going to go away and he is going to just have the memory of her and that's it and he's never going to call her again. Right. Never going to happen, except right. he's seeing everybody together yeah, in a so Chinese the, restaurant, the empty
0: chair moment.
1: And and so he and so he weakens and he calls her. Yeah, she says, "I thought it was only the one night. Not for me, was it?" He says. You know. Yeah,
0: it's a it's strange turn.
1: It's a strange it's a strange turn. Yeah. yeah.
0: So now, have you been kind of uh, ruminating about these characters for you know what thirty years to
1: do a book? Well, they they never they were alive before. I wrote the movie and did the movie and they're alive after I did the movie That's because it's a long time
0: after the movie though.
1: Well, they never stop being alive because the, um, the 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 invention is much greater than that slice of time that the movie sure. uh, occupies. Yeah. So the movie is just is a 1995 sliver. I mean, I know the characters are alive and for me. I know what Neil McCauley was doing when he was 11, when he was institutionalized. You knew that when you made the movie? Oh, totally. I, I have to know everything about the character. I have to know where they come from. I have to know why he is the way he is. I have to, why he speaks the way he does, why he moves. So, um, but do you do that with all your films then? Yes, and and uh, and I dive as deeply as I can into the authentic, you know, uh, milieu, the social milieu and get with, if I'm going to do Thief, I'm going to hang with thieves. Yeah, you um, know
0: it's interesting about that movie,
1: but yeah, I mean, but
0: like with Ali, I mean, they, now yeah. in order that guy's got a biography, but the but the the fictional movies,
1: like even if you didn't write them, you do you build a backstory? Absolutely, especially it gets interesting when you try to do Mohicans in in, in seventeen fifty seven. Hmm. You know, yeah. So how do you get the same? It's kind of like uh, what, what I aspire to is is kind of a cultural immersion, almost like I I don't know, like a British cultural anthropologist, yeah. where you really want to. You know, I have to be able to imagine I am this current person. This is my value system. This is how I come out to a girl. This is what I think about life, and um, and that's what's operative in big time and in, in, in heat. It's a different it's a different situation when you when you're when you're obviously doing a period film sure because you could do the period physical world the wardrobe the locations everything else you for me I've got to have the period attitude I've yeah. got to know what their values are I've got to know what period psychology is what's the psychology of the Iroquois in 1757 and how did you find that out uh, there is a there was a A spectacular Harvard historian named Parkman, who in the 1870s did a version of oral history where he talked to very old people who, when they were very young, talked to their grandparents who lived through the summer of 1757, lived through August of 1757, and related stories. That plus, um, there's nothing, we know nothing about the Mohicans, but we know all about the the na- a neighboring tribe, the Mohawks, sure. who yeah. spoke a different language, yeah. but but in the Six Nations are the Iroquois, so most of the most of the cultural take and the psychological take is all Iroquois. So now, is it? I just talked to uh,
0: Robert Eggers, you know, the yeah. the guy who did the uh, Northman and Witch and uh, right. the Lighthouse. Yeah, he's also a very meticulous dude. And in the Witch, he 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 made them construct. The house uh, of the period, which was pre colonial America, with only tools that were available at the time. Right. Do you go that deep?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cameron's cabinet in front of Mohicans. The crops are the real crops. Okay. <laughs> we actually act crazy. Is uh, it crazy, though? Or it's it not it, crazy. It's great. I mean, well, why not do it if you can? Yeah, and we needed to grow the crops about seven weeks. So we found, and, and there were the actual <laughs> crops that they would have planted. Yeah, we found some hybrid seeds that are that were genetically engineered for mountainous environments. Yeah. We had very short growing season, so we grew all of our corn in like seven or eight weeks or something. So that it's but the whole house yeah. was was it was just a real log cabin. We just built a we built, we built a fort for real. The fort was real,
0: and and not. I mean obviously it's going to look, look correct you know in the camera but I imagine that the the sort of uh, energy it creates for fantastic. you it's and on fantastic it's right.
1: fantastic it's it's there in every gesture right. of all the actors yeah. the the uh, you're bringing people who have not who they they've read about and they've talked about their heritage their history they've never been in an environment where they could stand and they could look through about 270 degrees and there's nothing that is not Eighteenth century. I'm talking about. I'm talking about the American Indians, sure, who are you know the Native Americans who, yep. are, who are on the show, yeah. And then for um, you know and then like for for Daniel, uh, same thing. I mean he trained for eight months, yeah, and so he could do everything that Hawkeye would have been able to do, and it culminated in one week in a uh, forest, you know, in a, a national forest in um, in Georgia. Where if Daniel didn't trap it or shoot it, he didn't eat. Huh. And it so was really land easy. navigation, I mean well, that's all this stuff, man, right? You know,
0: he, he'll go deep.
1: Yeah, but the the payoff of that is the authenticity. Sure. And it's why it's why sometimes if you're lucky, these things sustain in memory. And they sustain in culture because there's a deep truth telling resonance to it that I believe audiences. I believe audiences are quite brilliant. And they know things they don't even know. There's a truth-telling resonance, I think, that stays with audience, and they stay emotionally hooked in. For they like the movie, they like the music, they like this, like that. But it's something deeper than that. It's a, it's a, it's a truth to it. Yeah, and that's what the uh, human truth
0: that 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 yeah. transcends whatever is necessary So that's why Eggers,
1: I'm sh- you know, is you tap in. Yeah, I had, a, I had. My three little girl, I've four daughters, but three of them were with me when we were shooting the cab. And as his daddy, do not burn down that cab. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Success. Honey, that's the story. (laughs) Yeah, but you're the boss, Dad. You don't have to burn it down if you don't want to. We want to live here, you know. Oh, they loved it. They loved it. But I mean, going back, I mean,
0: is this how long does it take you to prep? Because I know, you know, you've done a lot of stuff, but you make very specific choices about the films you do, and it must take forever. Um
1: yeah, but it's a great adventure. Sure. Uh, that's the whole thing, uh, it's right? A fabulous adventure. I'm driven by content and creating content, that's it. So uh, I'm not a journeyman director. Right. And uh yeah, so on Mohicans it was, you know, we were prepping for probably close to a year. For yeah. Ali we prepped for se eight, nine months. We'll prepped for eleven months on on Ali, same thing. Yeah. And it was and you could the the boldness of and, and of uh that decision for will to try and be muhammad ali is aw- is awesome yeah it is a f- you know and uh and you start analyzing uh footage of ali yeah when he's particularly when he's when he's rapping some of his yeah uh, rhyming couplets and stuff yeah. And you see how complex the language is. Sometimes he has three different identities, uh-huh. and he's himself. Then he's Uncle Ninja and Uncle Remus' voice. There's yeah. a different kind of voice, yeah. and it's really complex stuff. So to, to really get that right takes takes quite a bit. He was great as Ali, I thought. He was terrific. Yeah. I mean, he uh, he was he was Ali, and he uh, and it it wasn't until about the by the way he boxed every morning five days a week for probably nine to 10 months. Yeah. And I had Angelo Dundee there. I had everybody. He's could, still alive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. bring in. How about Ali? And Ali was there all the time. Oh, yeah. And during the shooting he here He must have loved well. it. it. He did because it was like a time trip. One of his favorite things in life was his bus. You loved driving around in his bus. Yeah, had yeah. Bus. And then I had, I had uh, when we were location scouting in 1984 for the Miami Vice pilot, the Fifth Street Gym was still there, and we had videotaped it. And somebody reminded me, you know, I think in our storage we have video of the actual Fifth Street Gym, which had subsequently been torn down. And we did, so it's like a, you know, it, it's like time travel for him to be oh, able to walk and in was, he, a, in was a he, gym. How was his brain at that point? His brain was always good. He, it was, it he was the uh, muscles. The, the Parkinson's yeah, yeah, yeah. affected his speech. Okay, and so people think that because you're speaking that way, perhaps you're. You have Alzheimer's or you're or, 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 or slightly autistic or yeah. something. And then the normal human reaction to that is to accept that. You, it's kind of a bad feedback. and right. A lot of people with Parkinson's. Sure. Because people start regarding them a certain way. Like they can't But not understand. Ali. Yeah. Ali's mind was sharp. Yeah.
0: So a lot, mm. of the, a lot of the movies go back to Chicago and you're from Chicago. Right. right? Now... In but, inner city Chicago. But you're not from a crime family.
1: Enough of a crime family. <laughs> but, but a How di- did you
0: grow up? How did I grow up? Yeah, like what was the family uh, situation? What did the old man do?
1: Lower doing? middle class, working class, family, inner city. Yeah. Uh, directors from Chicago who lived in, a, who grew up in the suburbs make comedies. Yeah. Directors from Chicago grew up in the city like Billy Friedkin or myself, we do not make comedies.
0: It's an interesting thing about you and Friedkin because I was thinking about live and die in L.A. and I'm like, yeah. you, you know, it looks like he was watching some of your movies.
1: <laughs> I don't know. You don't know. Uh so uh grew up in the near north side. Yeah. Uh, and then we moved further north, went what, to was
0: what business was your family in?
1: My father had a small independent like supermarket thing that eventually went out of business when they opened up a big jewel tea right next yeah. to him. Uh my grandfather had a uh had a small cab company, with like one cab, two cabs. I drove a cab I pretty much half worked my way through yeah. university yeah um, and uh you got brothers and sisters I got one I have one brother yeah uh my parents were my dad was terrific he died when uh he died too young at 56 when Oof. I was about 23 yeah um and you know so it was jewish
0: yeah yeah conservative
1: uh no no, no. my just- father was my father was Progressive. My grandmother was very progressive. Oh, yeah. My grandmother lived through the Russian Revolution. Uh, I, uh, my father volunteered to uh, World War II, saw a lot of combat oh, yeah. in the Battle of the Bulge. He was 33 when he went in, and at huh. 33, you didn't have to go in.
0: That's old to go in, uh, yeah.
1: But he came to this country when he was 10 and felt a uh, patriotic duty to, huh. to fight. Did you ever and, talk to him about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah.
0: He would talk about it?
1: Yeah, he when when we went to, in the fifties when we went to movies we'd go to the movies at ten in the morning on Sunday. Yeah, because he couldn't be in crowds. They didn't have terms like PTSD. Yeah, you know, PTSD. Yeah, like that. but he he had it, huh? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He had a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of issues that came from uh, from the combat that he saw. He was wounded and then went then back went back on the front line and then huh. it became an MP. Wow. So was that your first movies experiences
0: with your old man? Uh, Going to the movies? N- uh,
1: those were my first movie experiences, yeah. but I had n- zero interest in, in <laughs> cinema. I had no idea at all that I wanted to but, be but, film but, director.
0: Right, but were movies landing with you? Were you like you
1: know, with, um, a big, big part of your life? Or? Last of the Mohicans landed with me when I was three or four and didn't realize it until 1991. <laughs> yeah. but I could not figure out what the hell to do Interesting. next. And then I said, wait a minute. I've had two things rattling around in my brain since I was three. One is this, one is this tragedy of this girl falling off a cliff. I don't know where it comes from. And the second thing is this notion of, of these spectacular-looking Native Americans with British soldiers in red coat uniforms. And I don't know where they came from. Remember, you've been thinking about you know, seeing the black and white, last of the Mohicans, wow. it was made in 1936, and you were seeing it probably in 1946 huh. in the basement of a church near, near where we lived around Hubble Park. And you tracked it. You figured it out, though. I said, yeah, well, well, and then I went to uh, Joe Roth and Roger Birnbaum at Fox, and I yeah. said, I got a crazy idea. There hasn't been a period movie in 10 years. Let's make <laughs> Last of the Mohicans. They <laughs> said, great idea. Let's do it. It was that <laughs> difficult. <laughs> so when yeah. did you when did you start taking an interest in movies? Uh, probably I took a... Um, I was tortured about trying to figure out what to do with my life, you know, who should I be in this world. What were your options uh, in your mind? For in the my 20s. And then- um, What were you considering? Everything. Yeah. Uh, I was an English lit major, but I took a lot of history courses, a lot of philosophy courses. I took geology courses. Yeah. I, I wanted to be a psychologist for about 11 minutes. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and I said, okay, I'm going to write. I'm going to be a novelist, uh, you know. Uh, and then i took a, a course in film history taught by the first course in film history yeah. at university of wisconsin and i remember the exact moment when i was walking down bascom hill and it was in january yeah. and it was like freezing cold but dry and beautiful you know every you see every star in the sky and about 10 at night it just just hit me you're going to make movies this is what you're going to do huh because I just seen about um, maybe pap's joyless Street or something yeah and um, this is what you're gonna do this is, what, this is what and it just hit me it's like a bolt of lightning and uh, and it may have been something else as I was also you know cabinet kind of dr. Caligari you know, yeah. all yeah. Of those. yeah it's fantastic cinema and um, and Eisenstein who is still as relevant today as ever and but um, like Potemkin Potemkin yeah you know, and uh, and I'd read Film Form and Film Sense, sure. you know, his ther- film theory. When you
0: say something like uh, he's relevant today, to this day, what parts of, of Eisenstein? Well, we're
1: talking about heat, dialectic. Okay, okay right, okay. The dialectic, the collision of ideas. The language of film. The language of film or the language of film narrative, the, yeah. of the whole of the narrative and of the experience on every different level, because that's exactly what, what heat is. Heat is all of these points of view crashing together, into the end, and when you're with any one character, not only are you emotionally believe in what he wants and emotionally connected to him, you also see the world the way he sees the world. And on top of that, I made happen. Uh, I made fate work for him as a function of his view of the way. <laughs> what l- right. l- life is. Right, know? yeah. And one of the fascinating characters is Scheherlis, who doesn't have a view. Right. And is kind of a postmodernist and then just, he just s- romantic, slides by. But also a romantic. Kind of. He's a romantic, he's screwed up, he Obsessive. makes mistakes, and yeah. he slides, you know. Yeah. She does that blackjack dealer wave with her hand, which you really should let him be captured because her life and her kid's life is in jeopardy. Yeah, if she doesn't, and then yeah. he's got a. He smiles, and she just right. gives him a pass. Him. You know. So, wh- when you decide to do that, you're an undergrad. I, I was, yeah, and that was it. I I was in my junior year, and uh, then right I started looking for how. Okay, I don't know how sound gets on film. I know nothing about this. Yeah. What do you do? Go to film school. What film school? And um there was no internet of course so you yeah. going to the library and looking at the syllabus for UCLA
0: sure. Yeah. Uh, so. and you didn't want to go to UCLA. You didn't want to go to uh, I didn't a, know
1: I didn't know anything. I probably would have been probably would have been a good place to go. But yeah. I was also
0: Or USC even.
1: Yeah, if it, it, it when I you read the syllabus it felt very dry and technical. Okay. Now, now Coppola also has said that who went to USC that yeah. it was dry and technical. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I couldn't. Uh, I, there was there were only like three or four film schools in America back then. And, so where'd you uh, go? London. So you left London Film School. Yeah, I was also staying out of Vietnam, so it wasn't. That
0: was in. A, uh, you were trying to stay out of Vietnam.
1: I was staying out of Vietnam, yeah. my so was my brother. And my dad totally supported that. He thought anybody, anybody who was a World War II veteran who wanted their kid to go to Vietnam, had to be in a quartermaster corps. They had not seen combat. But but scary. how did?
0: But he must have felt. That, I mean, at what point? What, what year are we talking? He must have thought sixty-five. Poli- Oh so we really didn't know politically what was happening. He just knew combat well, I was down.
1: Sixty three you yeah. started to you started to feel like this is a gigantic mistake and yeah. it, it's uh this is the wrong
0: So how'd you stay out? Just by staying in college?
1: I was staying in college for two years and then I had a uh, uh I started writing post <laughs> there was a draft board in Chicago. Yeah. And there was a um and I get these form letters. And I'm a university student, of yeah. staying out. I was very active in the anti-war movement in yeah. Europe, and uh, when you uh, were in London, and politically active in those yeah. years, 66, 67. And uh, every three months, you'd get something from the draft board, and there was a lady's name on the bottom. So I'd send her a postcard every five or six months <laughs> saying, you know, something really profound, like it rains a lot in London, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. I did yeah. this for like two and a half years. One day, I got a letter back saying, I read in your in your file that you have asthma. If you could have a doctor say that you still have asthma, you know, you will. You You're asked. you know, one. Why? Yeah. You know, and so I did, and it was. It was. This, you did have one. Why. Yeah.
0: So in London, like once you decide because of a couple movies you saw that this was your calling, you know, how do you set about modeling a, a vision for yourself?
1: You make mistakes it's what you do in film school you yeah. go to film school and you make and, and you sh- I believe that people should go to film school with a great liberal arts education which mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to have and then you go and you make films that are totally embarrassing in, in and film school. awful like short films you mean? yes absolutely you know it's, it's symbolic and you make all those mistakes early on and yeah. you take all those shots
0: when you left and, with a liberal arts education I mean what were the stories that, that moved you the most that were kind of templates for your way of thinking in terms of story
1: uh, How to do? Well, first of all, I became very interested in national liberation front movements that were going on in Angola and Mozambique. And uh-huh. in my in film school in London, a third of the students were Americans who were not going to go to Vietnam. Then there were South Africans who, if they got sent back to South Africa, were going directly to jail. Yeah, there were Portuguese because in '65 the war in Angola was bigger than the war in Vietnam. Yeah, until Salazar died in '74. So, uh, you know, I, I, did, I did some uh, film work uh, during the end of the May-June 68 in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, so, those were the, you know, that's, so we were thinking about yeah. doing that. And then uh, short film, that kind of thing. I started- think about change. Well, so, I mean, the, making you know, this is this inflamed everybody. I yeah. mean, this part of the rapport I had with Ali is that what made him crazy on the six o'clock news in nineteen. I mean, violently crazy on the news in '67 on a Tuesday night made me crazy. At the same time he was a one year older than me. Yeah. And so there was another and he had a very sophisticated understanding of global struggle because uh Muhammad speaks the Nation of Islam newspaper the center part of that was all about third world struggles yeah back back in 64 65 66 so you saw your films
0: so were you thinking about a a, a career in movies or were you thinking about Doing political movies. I was
1: thinking about a career in movies, and the subject matter I was taken with was political, given given the times, right, okay. and the polarization, which was radical. And what were some of the movies or examples of that that you enjoyed? Uh, Wild Bunch was massively impressive. Sixty-seven.
0: So oh I just watched that again.
1: Wow. So good! It's so good. And take a look. Take a what? Take a look at what films were nominated in 1967. It's like a hit list of about ten films. it's, yeah. it's unbelievably, you know, rich, prolific. You know what's, most,
0: what's amazing that it, that that always stands out with me when I watch that movie, which I've done several times because I like Peck and Paw, is those kids with that scorpion and those ants at the beginning. Right. That it's the whole movie. It's the whole movie. It's the whole movie. It's like, it just blows me away every time. So, who are you working with over there in London? I've talked to some guys. You knew Ridley Scott? I knew Ridley. Yeah.
1: I knew Ridley briefly. Yeah.
0: And who else is coming up with you? Anybody?
1: Michael Lay. uh, Yeah. A lot of guys who I went to film school with with, went to work in World in Action, which Mm -hmm. was uh, an investigative journalist on ITV, which made 60 Minutes look like Ding Dong School. Uh I uh mean, these guys were like, you know, parachuting in to interview Regis Debray, this kind of stuff. Oh, no shit. Did you do any work with that? Did you no, do any jobs? I just knew a lot of it. Yeah. But when I was doing um, some early research on um, on triads in Hong Kong, uh, my, one of my closest friends, uh, a guy named Gavin McFadden, who set up the Frontline Club in, in, in London in later years, um, he and I did all that together and we were able to really penetrate into. Uh, deep into triads and also some aspects of the drug trade and the Golden Triangle, oh, shit. researching something in around 1980, uh, 79 and 80. And it's, be- it's because of his investigative journalism techniques that that was the real inroad into it. Um, Michael, that- Michael, Michael Apted came out of that background. Oh, yeah, he was yeah, yeah. world in action, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's
0: a whole bunch of people. Uh, I did, does some of that international crime come into this one, into the novel,
1: the new one? Absolutely.
0: So yeah. so it's all in there in the uh-huh. back of your head and you kind it's of it's all your, in there yeah, yeah yeah
1: and and then it and then it keeps um, it keeps on keeping on <laughs> is that is
0: do you connect it through Vietnam through the uh, through the Hannah character
1: uh, I connect it to Vietnam why because we tried to do uh, way nineteen sixty eight yeah the Mark Bowden the fabulous Mark Bowden book. And we came very, very close to doing it at Effects with uh-huh. with uh, a fantastic executive there, John Langraf. Yeah, I know that guy. Right, I'm, at, I'm working with him now. Okay.
0: I mean, I just I saw he's a great guy, smart right. guy, really smart. Yeah,
1: and um, we were we were coming to the point of a decision just at the time that Disney was doing the takeover, and it became impossible to go forward with it.
0: Oh, Okay, all right. But in the book, like I know, like uh, P- ha- Pacino's character Hannah is a vet, right?
1: Yeah, and. and I, Put yeah. them in, I put them you right put in them the Battle of Way of 1968. Yeah, right there, yeah. right
0: there. All right. So when, what was your first job in the films?
1: My first job that I got, um, I worked in London for a while, I had a small, product, tiny production company. Okay. We made some commercials.
0: So you started a business in London?
1: Start, yeah, well, on five guineas, yeah. uh, five pounds, five shillings. You yeah. know? It's, like, yeah. it's like the Mel Brook thing. You put your hand on a rock, look up in the sky and say, I am a production company. Right. Yeah, and that's how we started. So. Yeah. And then you went produced commercials? Yeah, we made them commercials yeah. and shorts and tried to get a screenplay written on something that happened in Sri Lanka. Were uh, commercials
0: helpful, technique-wise? And
1: Yeah, but it was, yes. We made, I, made, I made three, four, three, four commercials. Okay. One of them, uh, you know, out of brand's hatch with a, a GT40, which yeah. was a lot of fun. Uh, and then well, my dad died in 69 and went back to Chicago and uh, set up a little production company there and did the same thing and then moved out to the coast, in about 70, 71.
0: Wow. So film's and, really kind of happening then, independent film in a way, or, or at least uh, independent thinkers.
1: I, I, probably, I probably got her just in time for all the youth movies, right. After Easy Rider, yeah. All the bad youth movies yep. to flop. Yep. Right. So, sure. <laughs> The, I picked that moment in time to arrive. The Corman ripoffs, you know, the ones that- All were, of the, were at, oh, yeah. The I ones mean, he was turning
0: out after Easy Rider, uh, but then there was a couple of good movies, there right? Were a couple of
1: good ones. Yeah. When all the bad ones came out, I showed up and <laughs> tried to get
0: started. <laughs> What'd you do? And, um,
1: and meanwhile, I'd worked for a year at 20th Century Fox in, in London in, uh, in a production job, in physical production, uh-huh. which was great, and uh, worked with some really terrific people. And so then, uh, basically nothing. I tried to write- and, uh, television or movies? Pardon?
0: Movies or television?
1: I was trying to write movies. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and then a guy named Bob Lewin, who was a story editor on a on a series that was just beginning called mm. Starsky and Hutch, read, yeah. su- read some of it. Yeah. And I wound up getting a gig writing an episode, which then became the first episode. Then I wrote about three or four of the early ones. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the series was created by Bill Blinn. Yeah. And- um, And uh, then I I became a kind of a sought-after television writer very quickly.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: And the plan was to, this is what, inner city Chicago, I guess, was pure extortion. (laughs) Like, make myself (laughs) valuable, and I won't write it if I can't also direct it.
0: Oh, okay. So, that was the way he got in there. And
1: that that became the Jericho Mile, which was a movie of the week that did very well. I won a DGA Award and an Emmy that year, and it was released theatrically in Europe. It uh, did well? did really well, yeah. So that was your first feature? That was the first, it was a movie of the week in the States, there was a feature in, in form.
0: So I imagine all the TV writing must have helped you, you know, kind of TV with writing structure. Was f-
1: totally, it's uh, you know, that's, that's a very great, that's a great question, it's a really valuable insight. I, I learned structure from Bob Lewin and Liam Uh O'Brien. Liam O'Brien ran, uh, a guy named Ed Waters ran Police Story. Yeah. Joe Wamborgs. Yeah, I remember that. And every episode was based on, this relates to heat in a big way, every episode was based on a real event and you went and you spent time with the police officer who was telling you what happened when he was trying to work the freeway sniper who shot a... Chinese girl in the head and she was um, brain dead but at three in the morning he was so tortured by his imminent divorce that he'd go and he'd talk to her even though she couldn't hear him and you got these human stories that were so deep and wow did he do the onion field? Was that yeah? Wombo? Yeah,
0: I just watched that recently. That's Wambo. Yeah, it's got some of that. You can feel that in there.
1: Yeah, and so, but th- these were, but these were stories that would be related to me by the cop who yeah. went through it. Right, and you'd have to probe and get some of this out of them. But Lewin, who read some of my dialogues, said, "You know, your dialogue. He would have got a great ear for dialogue, and you would not know what a story was if it ran you over." Right. So I'm going to tell you what a, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to teach you what a story is. You yeah. Know? And I still use the same. Kind of structural understanding. What is it? How do you lay
0: it out in a one-liner?
1: Lay it out on one piece of paper.
0: What was his pitch? How do you you explain story to you? How do
1: you explain story? Uh, If you want to travel from here to Seattle, you know you're going to Seattle. What's the most exciting way to get to Seattle? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's called story. <laughs> you know? and,
0: and and what and around uh, two thirds of the way there, you, you make a strange decision well, where two, you don't but know? But the whole point is to <laughs> yeah.
1: figure it out when it's not one piece of paper. Yeah, I get it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So so you did the you did that T V work and, and, and Thief was the first one that you So
1: Jericho Miles was the first dramatic sure. I directed. Okay. And then um and then uh, by that point I had written Thief. And so then Thief was the, my first feature film. And I
0: got to tell you, I talked to James Caan, you yeah. know, I did an interview with him. Okay. And he's like, he's he's a one of a kind person. and Absolutely. And it, he's a real ball buster. But like, I watched all his shit because I wanted to be loaded up. And out of his whole life, that's the movie. That's his movie. That's the one he loves.
1: Oh, well, really? That's yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah, that's the
0: one where he's like, the one, the best one I did is that movie.
1: He's pretty good as Sonny. I mean, you
0: know what's funny? I mean, you know like... what I got out of him about Sonny that I never knew? He said that when he shot the first scene that they did for The Godfather with, with him and Sonny, was that scene in the office where he speaks out of turn with Salazzo. Remember right. with the meeting? Yeah. And he his, he says something and his dad gets pissed off at him. He said, We shot that the day, first day. That was the first scene we did and I didn't know who Sonny was. And then he said, But I was hanging around with Don Rickles for some reason. He was running around with Don Rickles and he's like, the ball buster, thats who Sonny is. Right. So the so the 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 gearbox, the drive shaft of Sonny was Don Rickles.
1: That makes total sense. It does, right? It makes complete sense. It's yeah. crazy.
0: So now, what was the relationship that you had? You know, in in researching because Thief, I watched again. It was hard to find it for a while, but then it yeah. showed up on Criterion for a while. There's something you have around. You made some decisions because I watched the first episode of T- Tokyo Vice as well yeah. yesterday. You know, in my recollection, there's a tone you create through light, through music, through close-ups, but there's and lighting. It's specifically yours, and it happens immediately, and, and you know that. So, how do you evolve that? I mean, what, what decisions were you making? What were you going up against? You know, with the films you had seen to create this thing that is your vision.
1: Um, I don't think of it from an external. Point of view, okay. At all, I'm not. I'm yeah. not. You know, I just focused in on what I want to do, and that mission objective is different for for you know from for every film. Sure. but there's certain things that are similar to them. my objective is to is to. Is to immerse you so deeply in it that you are experiencing something I experience when I'm sitting there and I don't want the movie to end. I'm worried that I'm halfway through it's going to end soon. Don't end movie, you know, almost yeah. that kind that kind of immersion. That's my ambition, regardless of what the of what the story is. So then that means a whole number that that then uh, generates a lot of different you know uh, avenues of of endeavor. And one is to use all the all aspects of the medium and use it very aggressively. Mm-hmm. And to uh, the last thing I'd ever want to do would be do film theater. I uh, just have zero interest in that. And how do I make this more well, experiential? How, what do you mean
0: film theater?
1: Well, where the you know where the actors are there, the yeah. talking dialogue, right. and the camera just happens to be sure. recording it.
0: Okay, got you know? it. So you okay? So you're going to use sight so and I wanna sound. Experience- everything.
1: I want to be experiential. I want to be experiential and 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 to be more as fluid as I could be and. And to have all the formal elements serve that purpose uh, as radically as possible, and um, you know, so that starts with knowing everything you can possibly know and having real people around as much as you can. So, Thief is very much based on a guy named John Santucci who plays uh, uh, who plays a cop in the uh, in Thief. Yeah, and um, and there's a tall blonde cop whose name is Charlie Adamson. Yeah who's in there who's playing, who beats up Jimmy Conn when they interrogate him. Yeah. Char- Charlie killed the real Neil McCauley. From Heat. From Heat in 1963. Okay. A- and that coffee shop scene kinda happened at the Belden Deli in okay. Chicago on Clark Street. So these were the cops. and th- where- The cops, and Santucci's a thief, a thief's based on, so we didn't have any props. We had all John's burglary g- gear. Yeah. And then I did crime story, and I made him a series regular. And he brought his whole world into a lot of the movie with the cops. Him. Oh yeah, well, yeah. so there are a lot of thieves playing cops, and cops playing thieves all all through all through.
0: Oh yeah, thief. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, we and had what
0: about Farina? He played one of the uh, bad guys.
1: Dennis was Charlie Adamson, the tall blonde guy. Yeah. Dennis was Charlie's partner. Okay. And Dennis was rough. I mean, yeah. his he was a <laughs> and uh, and then after Thief, yeah. he, he said, you know, he really I want to take up acting. So he went to the Goodman Theater. Then he then he hooked up with Steppenwolf. And then he hooked up with Billy Petersons Remain Theater. All that in that great. You know, golden age of theater in Chicago sure. in the eighties, yeah. and he became an actor. And then I popped him into crime, into uh, in, I mean, into uh, Miami Vice in a couple sure. episodes. Sure, yeah. And then we did. And then he became the lead in Crime Story. Yeah, he's great. He's great. He's great. He, uh, he's one of my closest friends. He died in twenty fourteen. We were I'm uh, sorry. No, it's horrible. Yeah. And he's telling me he's still alive. You know. Yeah. But we were, um, and we did luck together, and uh, he was a great guy. I'm sorry. Jesus. Wait, yeah. how did, What happened? He had a, he, I think I think he had a blood clot in his arm. Oh. Yeah, that just ran into his heart and he fell down. And that was it. And they called 911 and he died. He was in Scottsdale. Ugh, terrible. And we were shooting on uh, in Central, in Hong Kong, on Black Hat and half- my crew, my crews, most of my crew's been with me for twenty years.
0: So everyone knew him.
1: Everybody knew. We just stopped. I was just right in the middle of the shoot. I just we just stopped, pulled the plug. You know. And oh Jesus. So anyway,
0: so so thief. So this was like because. In in all these things you're talking about, the sensory experience, the immersive experience, you know, using tangerine dream music. And they're like, but the lighting and, you know, I mean, the attention you paid to everything, even clothing became part of the fabric of the film. You you know, there there are some scenes like in Manhunter as well, similar. Like there are certain movies I see as more, you know, signature where I can immediately identify the style. It seems like some movies when I'm thinking like Thief, manhunter you know probably miami vice you know collateral where you know you immediately are in like within a frame it's like this is a michael mann movie now like when you're doing something like uh like uh 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 mohicans do you, you have to is there a shift you have to make or you just apply it to the story i'm not Same no principles.
1: i'm not self-conscious about any of it. Okay. I mean, it, it's it so, just happens. So to me, it's like, what kind of light do I want? I started looking at paintings for the period. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, how do I visualize, uh, you know, first of all, the things lit by candle. Uh, yeah. Or if we're doing public enemies, you know, what kind of light sources did they have then? They have yeah. then? Well, they had very dim bulbs, so if you walk yeah. down the street, there's a pool of light yeah. in, and then it's dark, to yeah. another pool of um And uh, so it's, it has to be different i'm right, not self-conscious right. about oh wait a minute this isn't my signature you know i don't no no i get it i get, it. I get so. it it's just it's just yeah. it's
0: like anybody who's dug into their per you have a yeah i'm i am i am not accusing you of, of of hacking yourself but but your vision is is deep enough to where it, it sort of manifests and no one else really does it you know unless they're ripping oh, you thanks. off thanks i don't yeah, <laughs> yeah. but in thief what when you look back at that movie, what what do you think were your biggest successes in 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 putting that thing together? Since um, it was your first film, like that really stuck with you, where you were like, "Holy shit, this is this is it."
1: That I got the I got. There's a one dialogue scene between James of Tuesday Weld and, and the, the diner. diner oh, that's that's great. ten minutes. Yeah, it's a whole reel. back yeah. when there were reels. Yeah, and and that that could work that there was a you know, I thought to myself, wow, I'm gonna tell what if I told this whole story and yeah. he told all his life. How do I get all these things about his life into this? Yeah. Said, what if he just sits down and tells her how do I make that happen? You know. Right. And as a writer I was thinking these things. And that was the that, he had the little vision
0: board too, right? The little the postcard Yeah he's with got the, his yeah, montage. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. I
1: had I had spent significant time at this point in Folsom so I knew the way these guys Thought and right. I, I knew the power yeah. of the human intellect in captivity. Yeah, uh, with people who have relatively strong egos, yeah, and and the confinement makes them more intellectually aggressive. So the um, kinds of questions I was asked shooting the Jericho, shooting the Jericho Mile in Folsom, yeah, were were wild. I mean, I had convicts who. Um, I had one guy who I said I wanted, you know, I was casting, and one guy had wanted to be in the f- film. Yeah, uh, huge bodybuilder. Uh, I wanted, to, I wanted to handle the those parts. Said, man, I can't be in your film. And I said, why not? He said, because if I was in your film, I would allow, I'd be allowing you to appropriate the surplus value of my bad karma. And he wasn't kidding. He had read Marx and Engels. and uh-huh. He was also Buddhist. <laughs> and, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you... Yeah. Yeah, really. Okay. So, yeah. It, was a, <laughs> it made
0: sense. There's poetry to it, right? Uh, there's poetry to it. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah.
1: there, there's, there's a fantastic po- a poet who's, who's, who's uh, still alive. His name is Spoon Jackson. Uh-huh. who who wrote a a poem that's one of my favorite poems of all time. says, you know, realness eats raw meat. It does not waver. I mean, it's like this really tough... perspective philosophical perspective that you get you start to have i think if you're incarcerated and you're what is why am i still here why don't i just end this you know well what is existence what's time what's life these guys ask themselves these profound questions and you use those guys in a a lot of movies
0: i mean that you use an ex-con character the ex-con character and and, and you know that that they're at the core of that yeah yeah
1: yeah I mean, at the core of it, I mean, I'm sure it's probably there too in heat It's the same question sure. I, I ask myself you know how ought i how what i how ought I to live what is you know it's the same question we're all asking ourselves i know What's-
0: i i I wrote on a Post-it today because of like of where I'm at in my life, and I just talked to a uh- Tony Hawk, the skateboarder, yeah. who's still skateboarding at 53.
1: I know. I saw. I just, you saw, saw the I just saw the documentary. I talked to him today, yeah.
0: and I'm, I'm talking to you, and what I wrote down from Heat was Sizemore saying, for me, the action is it's the juice. juice. Yeah, That's it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but there's got to be more than that, but it's true. That's the, And that's the guy you've got as the family
1: man. Mr. In family values, right? Yeah, but his his family, your family, he would hold as a hostage.
0: Sure, sure. But the action and, is that you He's the guy that could have, but he's the one guy that like took care of everything, so he could leave, but he didn't
1: get to leave. He didn't leave. But yeah. he also is also pointed that he picks up as oh, body right. armor right. a little kid, right. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's yeah a,
1: obviously, it's yeah. quite intentional. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so
0: I'll go wherever you go to De Niro, but I'll take that kid to yeah. protect myself. Yeah. That's got nothing to do with this family.
1: Yeah, this family, exactly. Huh. Yeah. So when you do, uh,
0: like I, like I said, I watched Manhunter too. Now these leading guys, these guys, you seem to get right at their peak. Like Con, amazing. Peterson was amazing. Yeah, an interesting, interesting actor. Right? Billy, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean that was Yeah, a- he's
1: a bartender in, in Thief, by the way. Oh okay. When yeah. when Jimmy Khan rips Tuesday Weld out of the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh he's he Throws huh? in a car, he's the Billy Peters is the bartender that he pushes out of the way.
0: Yeah, so these are he's yeah. a Chicago guy. So you
1: knew him since yeah. from back.
0: You saw him do theater probably.
1: Oh, uh, no, I didn't. Never I did, just huh? cast him and cast him in, in, in Thief and
0: now, when you do something like The Insider, you just you all you're thinking about is that story. Totally. Yeah.
1: And and how lethal these forces are, truly lethal and and dramatic, and how do you represent it with people t- talking in rooms? Uh huh. Uh, for two hours and forty five minutes. Great and, movie. And um, you know, and I I knew Lowell Bergman, you know, was a, was a was a you know, was a friend when this was happening. We were developing something else. It was this, we were developing something on an arms merchant named Sarkis yeah. Sarkisian. Mm-hmm. And while this was going on to Lowell, and I was one of a half dozen people he talked to, and, you know, I knew all about the tobacco thing. Yeah. And he'd say, "You never guess what happened to me today." Don Hewitt walked by like I didn't exist, and if, you know, and and oh, uh, when he was being uh, uh, ostracized, ostracized yeah. at sixty minutes, yeah. and then. Um, and then I saw the 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 expurgated version of the show uh-huh. of of his ep, of about Jeffrey Wigand, yeah. and I, I called Lowell afterwards, and we started talking. I said, you know, forget Sarkees, Sarkees. what you're living through, defending a guy that you don't particularly like, who's doing what he's doing for all the wrong reasons, which makes it a p- more pure act, yeah, in, in, a, in a in a in a Kantian sense of that it's your actions that count not your intention right and so it's the purest form of the act because he's not motivated for any good reason yeah. and he's not very pleasant yeah and you don't like him and you're putting everything on the line to defend him yeah I, to me that was the, that's the that's story the new, that's the story
0: and that's um, and and also revealing that 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 kind of that corporate soulless corporate power right
1: right now the, the explanation of 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 explanation of of interference, and Mike Wallace says, you mean the truer it is, the worse it gets, she's absolutely the truer it is, the worse it gets,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that but also like it's because there is sort of a through line you know to to you know where you were politically when you were younger, I mean that's an important movie, that's an important struggle
1: yeah Russell- and, it is, and it is with the, it is with the real old Bergman too, you know,
0: yeah uh, what do you how do you choose these movies that you do like i mean like how does like collateral what was that what where would that come from
1: collateral came from from, do i choose them or do they choose me that's the rest okay okay collateral came from having done uh last of the mohicans and uh you know uh last of the mohicans insider and ali and they're all massive Pictures physically, which I love, that you know. But in terms, they huge stories with a, lots of uh, moving parts. They're very symphonic mm. and orchestral, and you really have to get all right. And so, the notion of doing a movie that took place in one night that was like a gem. It's a, it, you know, there's all about the refractions where you have these two characters, in each. Is the agent of the other's realization? Yeah. Um, uh, Jamie Fox's character gets liberated from his J. Alfred Proofrock stories he's telling himself mm, right. by what you know this killer's talking about, and then towards the end of it, uh, you know, uh, Jamie Fox's character uh, becomes the agent of actually landing something on Tom Cruise that uh, some standard parts of human beings are missing in you and really, you know. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so that kind of like a gem-like yeah. thing was very, very attractive to me. So then I didn't, I decided not to do Aviator, which was yet another big Which Which uh,
0: Scorsese ended that, up doing. And I
1: went to, I said, okay, if, if there's if there's two, one of two directors, will do it, you know, I'll then I'll produce it and they'll do it otherwise I'll just hold on to it and so I went to Marty
0: interesting so you like what was it about Aviator
1: it's the same story uh, to me it was the same story as Ali it's a it's it's a story about a man str- the whole if you said what is this what is the central conflict and in 25 words or less and you're only allowed to say one thing yeah you know and in Ali it, it it's a man struggling with himself yeah and, and with, with you what John Logan, who's a fantastic writer, and I invented for how to tell that story. was not some long-linear biopic, but that it's Howard Hughes fighting his own mental illness. That's the villain. That's the antagonist is his mental illness, and in the end, his mental illness wins. And in Ali, it's who shall I be? Mm. Who shall I make myself into in this world? Because I represent so much to black Americans and I, then he comes through it. also represents so much to everybody rising up from below. Mm. That's why it ends with the rumble in the jungle. Right. And, uh, and you know, and so it's, it's, you know, the function of repre- of representing something and being motivational, that's something Ali was always conscious of and wanted to design it. And he was on a voyage of discovery. Yeah. And a brilliant, brilliant guy. So with
0: with the Aviator, what you chose not to do it because you felt like you had made a similar felt, movie.
1: I couldn't figure out why it felt to me like it, like it was. Just, I'm telling the same story. Okay. And um, how do you think Square? I, cont- I owned and control. I basically, c- I controlled it. Yeah. I was developing it with Leo, and I controlled it. And yeah. I, and I, I remember we have we're having a Christmas Eve party at my house as uh, as talking to Leonardo and you know and um and I, I was. You know, I should go do it now. You know, there's something was holding me back. Uh, and, and how do you
0: feel Scorsese did with it?
1: I did great. Yeah. Yeah, I really did great. Is that where that relationship began with him and Leo?
0: Or was that after Gangs of New York? I can't remember. Was can't, it what? Was it be? Is that where the relationship with him and Leonardo started? Because um, I can't remember when Gangs of New York was made. I just know he's done several movies with
1: Leonardo. No, he's done several movies yeah. with him. No, I think their relationship precedes that. Oh, it precedes yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So,
0: like with Collateral. You were working with. Was that the? Was, oh, by the way, we're shooting most movies one at exactly the same time. Okay, okay. And what with with Collateral? They, I I thought it was interesting, like in sense of how you captured Los Angeles in Heat, how you, and then how you captured it in Collateral, and also like how you made uh, Chicago a character in 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 Thief. That you know these, you must think these through pretty pretty thoroughly in terms of how you're going to represent the city.
1: We did three months of research and development on camera systems to be able to see into the night. For collateral? So, for collateral. So collateral is the first photo reel uh film shot on high def. Okay. With with cameras that today are like, you know, primitive, like stone age cameras. Right,
0: they're like your but phone.
1: Like <laughs> like the Sony F nine hundred. Yeah, yeah. And um and we were able to, because you know how it is in LA in the uh, when the you know marine layer comes in and the sodium vapor lights yeah. bounces off those low hanging clouds and yeah. illuminates everything. You can't see that on film, mm. motion picture film. You right. can't see it, and you can't and you're not gonna have any depth of field. And so the only way you could do that, I, I started using um, some high shooting some high def pieces in Ali. Uh-huh. And I was stunned by one scene in particular that we shot yeah. um, during the right after Martin Luther King gets assassinated and the riots breaking out in Chicago. Yep. And uh, it was a flat, truth-telling style that the scene had that made it kind of ultra real, really okay. ultra real.
0: So you, so you were invited that. You, you liked the definition you got. I like that.
1: that, and then, I, but I wanted to use that technology to to be able to see into the night. so it it felt like you know late afternoon in northern europe or something where you're but it's night all night and and, uh, so we we developed a whole bunch of techniques for being able to shoot it but then for the first three weeks i'm shooting collateral there was no when we did tests and you send a scene to the lab you get a film out and it's all magenta (laughs) same piece of film the next day it's all cyan huh And so I used to have these nightmares that this is all conceptual art. It only exists in my memory. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's real. (laughs) I have no I have no movie here. Yeah. 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 But you figured it out. No, it was it was okay. We were able to make it work.
0: (laughs) Because it's a it's definitely a different LA. You know, like the things that have changed in the city between heat and now, or between heat and collateral, were sort of like a, a lot. Because I wasn't LA like downtown starting to turn around, wasn't it? On-
1: downtown was starting to turn around, but but in in, in in well in heat and also in collateral. You know when you, I mean in advance of heat, I was out there usually one night a week on the weekend with a guy who was a, a commander at LAPD. He was in plain clothes, and we would just answer radio calls till about two three in the morning huh. for six months, and that's how I really learned the city, and so that brings you into the Caribbean section of South Central that brings you into you know Samoan areas of San Pedro you know into yeah uh, Interesting. You know, bars and discos that are that are every, everybody's from Sinaloa you uh-huh. know? I mean it's so you're really you know you're outside this self-imposed entertainment industry ghetto
0: right into, into the, the in, real LA you which know? is very uh, fragmented and spread out.
1: It's very fragmented and spread out. It's right. It's virtual. You have to travel to these places. Right.
0: What uh, compels you to do Public Enemies?
1: But to make the world of nineteen, the world 1930, 33, yeah. 34.
0: You always just wanted to do it.
1: And um, well, I knew a lot about it because I used to live about a couple of blocks from the Biograph, where where or Dillinger got were shot? shot. Yeah, yeah. And so much of Chicago is is the same. Yeah, yeah. And. Um, and what the world was, and it's, and the more I read the, the, uh, the nonfiction book, Public Enemies, I realized this was a, uh, you know, Cooper was an evil genius. This was a, such a turning point in history that it became very, very dramatic, the first uh, interstate True interstate, the Lincoln Highway yeah. <clears throat> dates to 1926 or 1927 or 1933. The first reliable V8 engine, which means you can travel all these highways endlessly. Is the you know is the flat Ford flathead V8. That's 1933, 1934. And here's this guy who gets out of prison after being isolated for 11 years, and it's not like he's got TV or the internet. I mean, it's yeah. completely isolated. Within three four weeks, he is living in the most current neighborhood in Chicago. He knows everything about everything. And there's just some spec and he keeps and no one can lay a glove on him. He's grabbing more headlines than a president of the United States nationally and there's no end game.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: What are you doing, <laughs> you know? And you like that. And then so much of it was, was tactile for us. We were able to get so close to it we uh I said, the "Little Bohemia, where that big shootout happens, that can't still be around." Just call up, and sure enough, it's still around. Well, have they remodeled <laughs> yeah. it? No, they haven't remodeled it. Wow! What about his room? Totally unchanged, and they left the bullet holes in the wall. No shit. Well, let's go shoot there. Yeah. Well, they said, "Well, it's going to be very expensive to rent this. How much? Oh, about oh, maybe two thousand dollars a week." You know. <laughs> Let me look into it. So we were, <laughs> yeah. but then then the then the prize was they had his suitcase. They still had Dillinger's suitcase with his clothes. Who in did the, the little Bohemian Lodge? That's crazy. And we bonded it and sent it, and so Johnny was able to put on his underwear and his pants. Get the fuck really? really, really. And you don't know. If you really want to know something about another guy, another character, what kind of socks does he buy? What, what, what does he buy? Something with a little pattern, solid socks, argyles. You know, that's what tells you about somebody. He got if all you're the a guy, answers. you know about another guy. He you got know. all the answers. A lot of the answers about. Wow, it, you know.
0: that's crazy. And the Miami Vice movie. Now you like, I, I guess I was misinformed. Now what you didn't have anything to do. The TV show was was. That it wasn't created by you, or no? What? I
1: didn't create it. The creator is the guy who wrote it. Yeah. Tony Yerkovich created yeah. my Miami okay. Vice. It was called Gold Coast. Yeah. And I talked with Tony. We changed the title to Miami Vice.
0: And you were just a producer on it uh, originally. I was the
1: executive. I was executive producer, but that's becoming kind of like the executive director. Sure. Because we did we did twenty two hours a season, and uh, and then Tony was on it for about the first sixteen episodes. Okay. And then uh, so I was. You know, casting it and hiring yeah. the directors and You're doing ca- the music and picking locations and basically bringing my feature film crew into TV, and and TV was a very moribund medium at that moment in time. It was very conventional, and it had an inferiority complex. And why should it have? Why should it not just be one hour of cinematic? Sure, the same way as I shoot so a movie. So you brought
0: the immersive element
1: more than that just you know i just we're, we're going to make we're going to make a one hour movie the same way we'd make a two hour movie and keep doing it that way until somebody makes a stop and no one did no one did and uh, so you know we're the first stereo show and yeah. you know, breaking new music and um, before fm in some cases sure and uh, and, the, and so the movie was sort of a, an homage <laughs> to
0: it's a, no, the mo the,
1: the movie was, was was the movie was was you know uh you know uh extend, project what Miami Vice would be now okay. if you're doing it you oh, know good. in two thousand four, yeah. right, two thousand six. Right and and not an homage. Um I I, I I wouldn't I other people may have been more satisfied with it being homage. I wouldn't have been interested in doing it. Sure. I wanted I was I was taken with by then i knew much more about the pathology of deep undercover serious i knew a lot i know a lot of guys who do unbelievable stuff in dea and particularly dea special operations division yeah which does narco terrorism yeah. and and pulling off wild stuff like victor boot and these other people get apprehended when well, those operations are unbelievably complex and the undercover work they do where they convince a Mansour kassar or Victor Boot that yeah. they really are buying, that they really are 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 the FARC, and they really want to buy arms. And Victor Boot has access to the whole FSB database when yeah. he wants to run. You, you want to buy something from me? I'll find. I'll investigate you. Yeah. And they managed to pull off these unbelievable operations. And but it, what there's a pathology to some of these guys where they go so deep undercover the fabricated identity becomes v- the more vivid than their own identity.
0: That's scary, yeah. They
1: have romances that they shouldn't be having. Sure. They start, you know, it starts to become, who which way is up? Donny Brasco was good. Uh, kind of Donnie Brasco. That was pretty good with that. Uh, but I've talked to a lot of guys who, who've lived through that for real. I knew one guy in particular who, who did not end well for mm-hmm. him. Uh, so, so that was where, that's, that's what's happening to Crockett, you know? Right. And then it was supposed to it's supposed to end the whole ending was a bit different. It was supposed to happen in Ciudad del Este mm. in the, in the, the three bo- you know, the triple frontier where Paraguay bull uh, a Paraguay Brazil and Argentina meets. It's a yeah. free trade zone yeah. with um Syrian and Taiwanese uh and and South American, uh very, very sophisticated transnational organized criminal. Yeah operations uh operate basically free freely right. and that's
0: where you wanted to end it
1: and that's where i what i wanted to end it we wanted be shooting there for about three days but that place plays a major role in in the book, uh, in the book.
0: oh yeah yeah you're fascinated with that place
1: i was fascinated with yeah cause it's crazy i mean it's i had an assistant who was uh taiwanese she was getting her her master's business master's at london school of economics spoke like five languages it was coming back to, to go join the family business, which was counterfeiting software, and um, that's what they did. Yeah, and a huge operation. Wow. And
0: um, so, so that's a that's a big part of the new novel.
1: That's one big part of it. Yeah. It also moves into uh, Southeast Asia, so Chris Sherlock evolves. The novel begins one day after the end of the movie. Okay. And uh, Chris Sherlock is wounded. He's the last survivor. He's Half delirious yeah. on drugs. Yeah, Nate's trying. Nate John Voight's trying to get him out, and uh, he comes. He becomes aware that Charlene betrayed him, mm. and that Neil's dead. Yeah, and he's got to get out of L.A. And then it jumps back to 1988 when uh, Neil's alive, obviously, and the Val Kilmer character and that whole crew are, are going to burglarize a bank vault at night. Hannah happens to be a cop in a quasi-corrupt Chicago police department chasing a home invader. And so all these stories begin in 88, yeah. and then it moves back and moves from there. It takes some things that happen in Mexicali. So then, it's, it sounds almost like that you, this was, you you couldn't
0: do it the same way in a movie.
1: This is a book, but it's also going to be a very large movie.
0: It's going to be a large oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Is that already underway? Uh yes. Well, yeah. That's exciting.
1: Yeah, I can't talk about it, but yes. Yeah.
0: Okay, because I was wondering if it was it was in in place of.
1: Uh, no, it's no. it's. I always want I always wanted to do this book. Yeah, I always wanted to to uh, explore the early life of these guys. Yeah, and then and then also where and to project to find a way to bring the past into the into the present, and the present being about two thousand and two, seven years after the events of. Uh, of of the of Heat the movie. So how do
0: you like? Are you how do you cast that if you're going to do a film?
1: Very very large ways.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You because know? you're very the casting. Like, how did yeah. you get Tom Cruise to play against type like that? He
1: just wanted to work. Oh, with he you loved or, the idea. He loved it. He loved the idea. Yeah. And he was fa- he's fantastic. Great. His it's dialogue great. in the back of that cab. It's great. is great. Just still cracks me up. Yeah, and you know. also
0: like you got Russell Crowe right at the peak of Russell Croweness. Yeah,
1: yeah no, I, I think Russell's work in, in, in *Insiders* really amazing.
0: All right, man. Well, so, so great. the book is exciting. Everything like, and, you, and you're you're busy mostly the book tour now. Or are you already just doing pre-production
1: No, I'm, for I'm off on. Uh, oh, that's right. You're gonna do the Ferrari movie. Ferrari, yeah. So I'm leaving either and tomorrow night or Tuesday night. And you friendly. just
0: produced Ford and Ferrari too. Did you, didn't you do that one? I,
1: yeah, but I didn't. I didn't really work. I, I, I developed a script back when
0: you got fascination with with, cars with
1: jazz um i do but that doesn't mean you make a movie about it
0: yeah what's driving this one
1: uh the whole movie is three months in the three months of the summer of 1957 and enzo ferrari's life and it's it's an opera it's melodramatic okay It's, it's um everything he's been collides with what he might become and the company's going bust and his That's wife insane. finds out about the other woman. and I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a spectacularly operatic melodrama in real life. All right. Well, have fun. Great. I plan to. So, Thanks a lot, uh, man. Yeah, thank you.
0: That guy's a guy, man. That guy is a director guy. He, too, a novel, comes out August 9th. What an amazing talk with Michael Mann. You can pre-order it now wherever you get your books so you're one of the first ones to have it. And uh, just hang out a minute. Can you hang out? Hang out a minute. So, Nikki Glazer is back on the show on Thursday. Um, Why? Well, we're starting to do that a little more, especially with people I know, especially with people who it's been a long time since I talked to, especially with people I want to talk to about... Other things maybe, and Nikki, you know, has got some things going on. She's got a special out there now. She's got a show, a, a funny fucking, I, it's some sort of, you know, uh, some you know fuck boy show. I, I don't know, but uh, Nikki Glazer, Nikki Glazer, and it got filthy very quickly, and it got got pretty raw and pretty real pretty quickly. So, um, and I like her, so we hung out. Uh, I'll be at Just for Laughs in Montreal for my gala or gala on Saturday, July 30th. I'll also be doing solo shows up there on July 28th and 29th. In August, I'll be in Columbus, Ohio at the Southern Theater on August 4th. Indianapolis, Indiana, I'm at the Old National Center on August 5th. Louisville, Kentucky at the Baumhard Theater August 6th. Then I'm back at Dynasty Typewriter in L.A. on August 14th. Lincoln, Nebraska at the Rococo Theater on August 18th, Des Moines, Iowa at the Hoyt Sherman Place on August 19th, and Iowa City, Iowa at the Inglert Theater on August 20th. Then in September, I'm in Tucson, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, Boulder, Colorado, and Toronto, Ontario, Canada. In October, I'm in London, England, and Dublin, Ireland. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for all dates and ticket info. Man, four club shows in Vegas. Brain benders, the real work. Exhausted after that, sweaty, 116 degrees out there. Definitely, fuck you weather. Who's saying the fuck you? I don't know, pick your God. Let's get out there on this, let's get out there on this desert guitar. Let's get out there a little bit. Let's find it find it with a little bounce, a little echo. Monkey and the Fonda, uh, cat angels everywhere.